Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to be joined by Maury Brown. He is with the Biz of Baseball and the Biz of Football.com. We'll talk about a few new TV deals. ESPN and the SEC, they have a TV deal. And then the Big Ten Network finally has a carriage deal with Time Warner Cable. We'll talk about that in segment three with Maury Brown. In segment four, Darren Ravel, he's CNBC's sports business reporter. We've had him on often. He just returned from Beijing. We'll talk about the winners and the losers from these Beijing Olympics. There were some big winners and some people who didn't fare so well, some companies who didn't fare so well. We'll break that down, as well as the future of the Olympics as they move on to London in 2012 and possibly Chicago in 2016. That's all coming up in segment four with Darren Ravel from CNBC. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. I've got all the TV numbers from the Beijing Games, the final numbers. It was the most watched sporting event in the history of TV. An event is two weeks long. If you constitute an event like an NFL season, the NFL will draw a lot more viewers. But uh, for this event, it was the most watched event in the history of television. So we'll talk about that. And there's a marquee athlete that is going to be signing with the Chinese footwear company. He's leaving Nike to go sign with the Chinese footwear company. Who is that athlete? That's all coming up next in Headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. This is Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. NBC's coverage of the Beijing Summer Olympics, they were historic. Overall, the 17-day Beijing Games were a triumph for NBC. The final week won TV's eight top-rated primetime slots. Sunday's closing ceremonies was the week's most-watched telecast seen by nearly 28 million viewers. So on average, NBC drew 23.3 million viewers per day for the Olympics. The week that Michael Phelps was doing his thing, they were getting 28.7 million, but as soon as Phelps 
and swimming went away. It went down, so they averaged 23.3 for the entire Olympics. To put this in perspective, 211 million Americans watched the Beijing coverage, and you watch not only on NBC but on any of the NBC networks, USA or uh, CNBC, MSNBC. Um, This was up 25% over the 2004 games, and it was the most viewed event in U.S. TV history. The 209 million total viewers for NBC's 1996 Atlanta Olympics held the previous record. Now, let me put this into further perspective for you. The population in the United States has grown by 16% since 1996, but NBC's viewer total was only up 1%. So there were more people to choose from out of the pool to watch the Olympics But uh, it was up 1%. Any way you slice it, very good numbers for NBC. They made over a billion dollars in profit selling advertising for these games. So the $894 million that they put up to spend on the rights fees for the Beijing games turned out to be a very good investment for them. They do have the rights to the 2012 games in London as well. Our next headline, the LPGA Tour is no longer just suggesting that the players on the tour learn English. It's now a requirement. At a mandatory South Korean player meeting August 20th at the Safeway Classic, the tour informed its largest international contingent that beginning in 2009, all players who have been on tour for two years must pass an oral evaluation of their English skills. Failure to do so will result in a suspended membership. LPGA Deputy Commissioner Libba Galloway said the policy takes effect immediately, but that the measurement time will be at the end of 2009. Now, there's 121 international players from 26 countries on tour, and 45 are South Korean. This is mainly being done, according to LPGA, because these players have to entertain pro-am partners. They have to mingle with sponsors, and they want the players to be able to do so. If you can't speak to those partners, then it really does you no good, Bobby Corser. Completely agree with you. It's kind of hard to, uh, you know, hey, I don't think South Korea has a lot of business that's investing with with the LPGA. If they were, I don't think it'd be a big deal. But the fact that now it's a requirement they have to speak English, I think it bodes well for the LPGA. Well, the LPGA is a private company. People forget that. It's a private company, so they can do whatever they want. Some people, are their feathers are ruffled by this news this week, but they can do whatever they want. And, you know, I see the point where more and more, you know, this is a business and this is about keeping your sponsors entertained, keeping them renewing their sponsorship. So I guess I can see the point here. Our next headline China-based footwear and sports apparel company Peak and Mavericks guard Jason Kidd have announced that Kidd will sign a formal contract to endorse the company in October. Jason Kidd just won a gold medal with Team USA. He's been with Nike for a number of years. The only other NBA athlete with Peak is Houston Rockets forward Shane Battier. Now, this wasn't the only news from Jason Kidd this week. Jason Kidd, as I just mentioned, won a gold medal with the U.S. men's basketball team. As it turns out, before he left, Kidd had promised Elaine Wynn, wife of casino mogul Steve Wynn, that he would give her his newest Olympic medal if the Americans won the gold medal. He says it's not a gambling marker or anything like that. This is what Kidd said to the Arizona Republic. She's just a great friend and a really great person. Kidd met with Wynn late last year when the U.S. team 
stayed at the Wynn Hotel while training in Las Vegas. This is a little bit fishy to me, Bobby. I think the fact that Kid goes out of his way to say it's not a marker or anything like that, usually when you say something like that, it means that it is. You know, you and I are really good friends, and we've been close for a while. How come you haven't given me anything like a gold medal? I know that you're around all these athletes all the time. I don't get any kickbacks. Well, I don't have anything as valuable as a gold medal to give you, but uh, if I ever get a gold medal, Bobby, I'll give it to you. Don't hold your breath, though. Our last headline, Oklahoma City's new NBA franchise has finally set a date to announce its name and team colors. The team said this week that they will unveil the name and the colors simultaneously on their website and at a downtown event on September 3rd. Clay Bennett's ownership group has applied for trademarks for six names, the Thunder, Energy, Wind, Marshalls, Barons, and Bison, and an Oklahoma City TV station, as well as a slip-up on NBA.com, have already labeled this Oklahoma City franchise as the Thunder. So we'll see if this has been a poor-kept secret, and it is the Thunder, or maybe one of these other names emerges. Coming up next... Maury Brown with the bizofbaseball.com and bizoffootball.com. Some new TV deals to talk about with the Big Ten Network, also with the SEC. We'll break those down with Maury Brown next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Maury Brown. You can find him at thebizoffootball.com and bizofbaseball.com. Maury has joined us before. Maury, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. It's a pleasure to be here, Brian. So the Big Ten finally has some decent traction now the big 10 network this has been a battle for a long time with several different carriers tell us about that deal just in time for this weekend's football games yeah well time warner cable has finally reached an agreement it's and it's significant in the sense as you mentioned that um, the big 10 network has really only been able to place um, carriage on um, basically on the sports tier which costs you know consumers extra money Um, this is basically on it's going to be on the extended basic tier for time warner cable you know, which is a fairly large area, it gets them throughout the entire Big Ten um, territory. That includes Ohio and Wisconsin. So, um, you know, it's a it's a substantial deal in the sense that um, the network has been having a lot of trouble trying to get traction and trying to um, get beyond um, being on nothing but the sports tier. And so uh, maybe this will break ground for them and break the ice and, and get them uh, – on some of the basic tiers with some other carriers. Speaking of breaking ground, I saw this deal and I said, huh, I wonder, may this open the door for the NFL network? 
totally different network, but you know maybe they can make some ground now because they've seen that the Big Ten network did it. Well, and that's certainly a possibility, you know, that they could do that. I mean, it's been difficult to sell football, the NFL, um, at the prices that they've been looking. You know, the argument has been from the carriers that they're going to have to pass this on to the consumers. Um, But this may come into play, you know, baseball is about ready to launch the largest cable channel launch in history with the MLB network going online on January 1st. Um, So that was kind of a leverage deal that came about with um, MLB Extra Innings. But, you know, there may be a situation to where, um, those opportunities open up when you start to look at, you know, a large corporation like Time Warner Cable and the Big Ten um, and MLB Network. Maybe that does bode well for them. Let's talk about ESPN for a moment. Uh, they made two big deals recently, one with Major League Baseball Advanced Media and the other with the SEC. Let's talk about the digital rights deal with uh, MLB Advance Media first. Uh, talk about that a little bit, if you would. Well, well it's a five-year deal. You know, they, they were in the midst of a seven-year, $140 million agreement and, you know, seven months ago, and they broke three years into the deal. They, they, they couldn't come to agreement on it. They announced this new deal. Um, it is a digital rights deal through 2013, and it's basically going to give them um, digital rights initiatives in places like you know, ESPN.com, ESPN360, and their mobile initiatives. Um, it, it's going to allow them to do things like simulcast games or Sunday night games. It'll allow them to do stuff like simulcast online, um, the home run derby. Um, it's a big deal, you know, for MLB AM and ESPN in many ways. You know, MLB AM has been a, is a huge front runner at the digital rights level. Um, ESPN has kind of had a kind of a strained relationship with baseball in the past, basically about how they've broadcast stuff ahead of time and announced some things in advance and kind of been in... Like the All-Star team. Yeah, exactly. They've, they've been in the doghouse. But, so this deal kind of maybe will break ground for them. Um, it's interesting that it's basically kind of um, sending um, their their digital rights kind of vertically um, as, as opposed to horizontally, which MLBAM has done a great job with. Um, and so it must be a healthy deal. Their past deal, like I said, was $140 million. The financial terms weren't released, but five-year deal, it's you know, probably something fairly substantial. When will we see this uh, go into effect? I believe it's taking effect immediately. I mean, they're basically extending the agreement, even though ESPN backed out of their deal. They were extensively still part of it. Um, so it's, I'm imagining it'll probably happen immediately. They're going to do their Sunday night and Monday night baseball games and Wednesday night telecasts. Um, you know, and they're also going to take advantage of alternate platforms, you know, if they, such as video gaming and any other platforms that, um, may come come around for ESPN, so it's it's going to open up new avenues for baseball. So ESPN, we also mentioned, uh, signed a deal with the SEC. It's the biggest deal they've ever signed with a football conference. Talk about the details of that. Well, it's an amazing deal because it basically spans the entire SEC sports market. You know, it's going to be it's going to be basketball, it's going to be football. Um, ESPN and ESPN two will be doing. Uh, they're going to do their Saturday night games, and then they're going to do two primetime Thursday night games. They're going to have three basketball games a year now. They're going to wind up doing the regional over-the-air telecast for ESPN, which a lot of people don't know about. Um, so they'll become the new syndication home for them. Um, it also taps into ESPNU, um, which will be their exclusive carrier for all SEC uh, telecasts. And then they get the semifinals and championships of the SEC men's basketball tournament. So it's a major deal. Um, it carry, you know, it's going to hit all of ABC, ESPN, all of the the different uh, channels for ESPN um, out there. It's a major deal. It's 15 years. It's the largest television deal and rights deal that ESPN has ever brokered. So get ready for a lot of SEC football and basketball.
You know, it's funny. Uh, I've had the commissioner of the SEC on before, and you know they start. They thought about maybe starting their own network, like the Big Ten. But you see a deal like this, and you almost wonder why would they even start their own network. Well, you know, and that's a really good point, Brian, because there's a lot of overhead, and, and as we're seeing with the Big Ten network, you can have content, but trying to get it carriaged is is a difficult thing to do. Um, you know, it is one of those things to try and negotiate the prices and try and get it to the most eyeballs and try and make it affordable. Um, it's a lot of overhead. It's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of organization. Um, and like you said, if you can, if you do have a good national reach, which the SEC certainly does, um, it does bode well for ESPN. And you know, every it seems that both sides are going to work out well with this. Yeah, the SEC recently signed a deal with CBS as well. I'm joined by Maury Brown. You can find him at thebizoffootball.com and thebizoffbaseball.com. Maury, let's talk about. Uh, just the New York landscape a little bit. Brett Favre, obviously, big trade to the New York Jets. He's doing booming business for them, jersey sales, ticket sales, things like that. But one of the things and one of the reasons the Jets went out and got him is because they're trying to move into this new stadium with the New York Giants. And there's PSLs, which are known as personal seating licenses. Maybe you can talk about how Brett Favre is impacting those sales. Well, you can't really help but think that that, that, that wasn't a large part of this deal. You know, um, Brett Favre is a huge draw um, going into a new stadium. If you have, if you're told, look, you're going to have to spend between four thousand and you know twenty five thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars for a personal seat license, which is only going to guarantee you the right to purchase season tickets, it becomes a very difficult sale when you're going up against you know the Super Bowl champions. Well, by landing Brett Favre, um, the Jets certainly are going to get that. It's great for the Jets. Um, and it's certainly going to help them move these personal seat licenses. It's a very difficult landscape right now, Brian, in the in the New York market. I mean, you do have um, the Mets and the Yankees with new stadiums coming online, and then you have this shared facility in the new Meadowlands with the Giants and the Jets. And with this, um, Richard Sandemir of the New York Times reported on this just the other day. I mean, you're, you're having this massive escalation in ticket prices. Um, there's a large demand for it at the corporate level, and certainly with people with a large disposable amount of income, but it is difficult for the average fan and those um, season ticket holders that don't uh, have the wherefore to be able to escalate to these really high numbers that they're asking are really going to be in a crunch. And so PSLs are probably not the most popular thing in the world. I'm sure that ownership will tell you that. Um, but it is one of those things with you know stadiums eclipsing a billion dollars now. Um, owners are looking for ways to pay for it, and PSLs are one of the ways. Maury, let's switch topics and talk a little baseball. Uh, instant replay, long rumored, but it was added this week to Major League Baseball. Your thoughts? Well, I think it's going to be one of those things that will probably, you know, it's historic on one level, and on another level it, it it's probably may not even be implemented or, or put into action for maybe a week or two or maybe a month. You know, it's only going to be dealing with the, the quote-unquote boundary calls, you know, home runs that, you know, didn't that weren't home runs, the ball that, that curves in front of the foul pole or the ball that basically hit in front of the line, uh, fan interference. You know, you wouldn't have a situation like Jeffrey Mayer, um, you know, that, we've, that we saw with the Yankees. That would have been called back as a ground rule double. Um, it's interesting in the sense that the umpires will basically have to leave the field and go to a room um, off the field, off, off the ballpark field, and, and basically uh, call MLB AM. They have a war room set up there. And there's a conference that goes on. So it's different than the NFL where you basically have the ref look at um, the film right there on the sidelines. Here there's going to be interfacing going on between New York and MLB AM's office. 
Um, it'll certainly be interesting the first time it comes into play and there's a, a call overturn, but the players are for it. Um, the umpires wanted to make sure that they kept some sense of um, their integrity involved with it. That's why I don't think you'll ever see bang-bang players or plays at home anytime soon. Commissioner Seelig's not for it, and I'm sure the umpires would balk at that. Um, but it is one of those things that's probably you know, overdue for baseball, and I think it'll probably be a good thing if it you know, gets the, the call right. Well, it's going to be interesting because, you know, you hear so many complaints about instant replay in the NFL as far as how long it delays the game. If you have to leave the field, go to another room, interface with New York, imagine how long the game's going to be delayed. Yeah, and this is one of these things. You know, baseball's always talking about they're trying to hurry up the game. They implemented a bunch of um, rules to try and keep the, the game at a faster pace. Well, they've only trimmed five minutes off the average time of the game. This will certainly add to that, but the argument that management is making is, look, you know, we'll have less arguments from the managers. We'll have less, you know, conferences from the umpires trying to get the call right. I doubt very seriously whether all those things will be true. I'm sure managers will still be upset. The, the umpires will certainly be conferencing in the, uh, the control room looking at the tape. Time will tell. I guess, you know, we'll have to see what happens the first time out. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes and whether we have a call overturn. All right, last question for you. We see... Several big names have been traded at the trading deadline in Major League Baseball. Who do you think is going to make more money this offseason? Is it going to be Manny Ramirez, who's done very well since he went to the Red Sox, uh, from the Red Sox to the Dodgers, or CC Sabathia, who's a pitcher. He's really having a Cy Young-type season with the Brewers. Both of these guys are in line for big paydays. Who do you think is going to get paid more? Well, I think it's going to be Sabathia, without a doubt, mostly because, you know, Manny, even as great as he is, and, I mean, he is a power guy and he's, he's a formidable guy in anybody's lineup, he is starting to age a bit. Um, and there's certainly been, you know, talk about how his, you know, personality makeup goes along with certain clubhouses. Um, you know, it's always Manny being Manny. Sabathia, you know, pitchers, there's always a premium on pitchers. The fact that he's been able to go out and pitch complete games solidly and, and has been a fantastic bat, that's the other thing people, you know, haven't really noticed he's, he's been a very good power hitter and done very exceptionally well for a pitcher that was in the American League all this time. He's popped over to the National League and been very effective. Um, I think that he'll certainly, you know, raise, raise the bar for pitchers once again. You know, he's going to be the key guy that everybody's going to be looking at to probably land. And once again, it'll probably be the New York Yankees that'll be right there front and center. They need help at the pitching department, something desperate. Um, they look like they may be missing the playoffs. So, well, and Hank Steinbrenner has already gone on record in the last few weeks saying we need to go out and get that front-of-the-line starter because uh, our pitching staff just isn't getting it done. Yeah, and, you know, when you do that, that always plays very well into the agent's hand, right? You know, it is one of those things to where um, it, there will be a situation like that. The problem will be if the Yankees are trying to basically bid against themselves. You know, it is always one of those things to, win, to drive up um, the player's basic worth um, you need another player, and normally that's the Red Sox. Now, whether the Red Sox want to make a move for CC Sabathia, you know, it, it'll have to probably see how they do um, this offseason. Did the Yankees make a mistake by not giving up their young prospect, Kennedy, for Johan Santana this last offseason? You know, that's a really good question. You know, you could certainly make that argument. It is one of those things. But the question, I guess, would be, Brian, is it, it, would it have been enough? You know, would it really have been enough to help that staff? They're really you know, depleted. They've had a lot of injuries, you know, whether it's Jimmy Wang or, or you know, whether it's been, you know, Joe Chamberlain. You've, you've got problems with the staff up and down the line. Uh, Messina's having a heck of a year. You know, he's doing very well. 
but it does raise questions as to whether he would have been enough. It certainly would have helped bookend and basically bolster the staff next season, but whether it would have been enough to get them into the to this year's postseason, you know, where they're right on the edge this year, you know, I, I guess we, we just will never know. <laughs> For the record, I think Manny's going to get a big payday, maybe not more than CeCe, but my philosophy has always been if you can take someone like Manny, especially an AL team, and you can DH him, Pitchers are just such a risk, and CC Sabathia. I mean, they're throwing this guy till his arm falls off. Especially the Brewers. It's almost like they're saying, "Well, we're not going to re-sign the guy, so we're just going to throw him, you know, every inning we can." Uh, I think he's leading the majors in complete games. It'll be interesting to see how that all works out. But Manny Ramirez sells tickets still. People in Dodgerland have been very excited about having him arrive in in Los Angeles. And Scott Boris is his agent, so you'd have to think he's probably going to get a good chunk of change. Yeah, and you know, and speaking of that, with Manny going to the Dodgers, I mean, the the largest amount of season tickets that were sold in a 24-hour I'm sorry, the largest amount of tickets sold in a 24-hour regular season period was the day the the 24 hours after Manny was signed. They sold 30,000 tickets in 24 hours. So he was a big draw. It was all sold out. He'll he will certainly be, you know, like I said, a great piece for somebody. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the off season goes. Well, Maury Brown, you can find him at thebizoffootball.com or thebizoffbaseball.com. Thanks as always for taking the time to join us on Sports Business Radio. Thanks a lot, Brian. Always a pleasure. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Darren Ravel. He's CNBC Sports Business Reporter. You can check him out online at darrenravel.com. Darren recently returned from the Beijing Summer Olympics. Darren, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. No problem. Always like coming on, Bray. Thank you. So let's talk about the winners and losers from the Beijing Summer Olympics. You know, you wrote about that online. I wrote about it on my blog as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Michael Phelps, Usain Bolt, they have to be amongst your, your winners. What do you see the future holding for those two? I think Phelps has to get uh, a little bit better at, at being a corporate spokesman. Um, you know, I think he has some work to do uh, because if if we're talking about this guy – making millions of dollars a year on one endorsement in non-Olympic years and being kind of a guy that, you know, brands say, you know, this is our guy, this is, you know, we, we want to associate our brand with this guy who's not really performing in that year, he's got to be really good. So I, I think he has, has some work, to, 
work to go here. Um, and, and Bolt is interesting. You know, uh, I think that, you know, you always look towards the next games and say, are these guys going to still be around? The fact that Phelps is still going to be around in 2012, Bolt will still be around in 2012, I think that gives them, you know, life. But both of them, especially Phelps, is going to challenge the fact that Olympians can't market themselves in non-Olympic years. I mean, Mary Lou Retton, it's not just the two perfect tens. It's that she is just the most unbelievable. We interviewed her over there. I mean, she is just so unbelievable. She's a powder keg of energy. Um, but there's only so many people can do that. And, and I think Michael knows he has to improve a little bit in order to be the icon and to reach the projection of a $100 million uh, guy that, that his agent Peter Carlisle says he is. Who are some of the other winners, in your opinion, from these uh, summer games? Uh, you know, I mean, some of the Chinese gymnasts, maybe. I mean, as long as, long as they don't uh, – you know, I, was, I was there, and the, the whole country loves them. As long as that 14-16 thing is, is solved or right. skirted, whatever, however you want to – say it um you know I, I was looking to the to the british athletes that are not you know that not a lot of people here talked about rebecca adlington who won the 400 and, and 800 meter in the pool and chris hoy who won three golds you know cyclist non-traditional sports just they have three sailors three blondes in a boat they call them you know going to the next summer olympics i think you know that's going to be they're going to be big and i guess you know the, the most amazing story wasn't Phelps. The most amazing story was Lu Zhang. And I, I don't think people from this country really understand how big that story was. I mean, to say, you know, it's almost, it's almost like, how, how am I saying that a guy that won eight gold medals and eight tries and the way he did it um, is not the biggest, greatest story? It's when you realize that this Lu Zhang guy had, you know, 15 corporate deals, $23 million worth, pretty much all based on his 2004 Athens Olympic, you know, games, winning the gold, first men's track and field for China. And he becomes the biggest guy in China. I'd say three times bigger than Yao, really. And all over every place, you know, he comes to this country. He doesn't run in, the, in, in Oregon. He doesn't run uh, in New York and then gets to the starting line and doesn't even run a hurdle and is in such pain. The fact that Nike says that they didn't know about this six-year foot injury that the coach claims he had, it's just the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And, and you know, people were crying in the streets. And there's, there's really never been anything like this in the history of sports, the business of it all, and then what happened. It's, it's, and you don't get it unless you were in China. No, I totally agree with you, Darren, because when I was over there last year, I saw that firsthand, and I've been saying that for the last year on this show. I think you're exactly right. People in the States do not understand just how big Lu Shang is in China. And, you know, it was like a national tragedy took place when yes. he didn't uh, race. Yes, and, and to see the ticket market, I mean, that was the hottest ticket. That really was. I mean, gold medal games maybe, maybe U.S.-China – opening closing ceremonies but that ticket was you know couldn't find it for less than a thousand dollars a piece and although there was this whole talk about how the olympics were so supposedly sold out and then there was no one you know i i that ticket went from a thousand dollars to free wow <laughs> it, it was amazing 
Let's talk about, besides Liu Shang, who are some of the other losers? Who are people that went into these Olympics or corporations that went into these Olympics and uh, didn't get what they bargained for? Well, you know, I, I, I think Adidas, I think Adidas uh, did okay, but I, I do think that, that, that Nike beat them at a cheap, you know. Uh, I think Nike, Nike spent less money, um, and they went after the, the, the swoosh in competition instead of the, the logo on the victory stand, and they got the unexpected value of Michael Phelps on the medal stand because they had the USOC. So I, I think Adidas probably didn't get as much as, as Nike did, considering they spent so much money. How did the IOC do? There was a lot of criticism at the beginning, especially with the opening ceremonies and lip-syncing little girls and fake fireworks. How were they perceived at the end of this? I, I think they got by it, but, but you know, to think that the worst, uh, the worst tragedy was the, uh, you know, the worst thing that they got, that they got flack for was the, was the um, uh, Jacques Rogue. And, and, and what he said about Usain Bolt, you know, and, and, and he deserved to get that. But, you know, I mean, you know, they definitely got by things. And, you know, the fact that they, all these people uh, applied for, for protests and not one protest was granted. Um, the fog thing, the humidity, the, the smog, the pollution really wasn't an issue after the first couple of days. But the, but the human rights issue, um, I, I, I think we left, you know, Still wondering how this how this all happened, uh, but I'm happy that it that, that it was in China because we got to see the greatest display we will ever see, and I feel sorry for any Olympics that come after this. We're joined by Darren Ravel. He's CNBC Sports Business reporter. You can check him out online at DarrenRavel.com. Darren, I just want to ask you: you were there in Beijing, you know? I've got to say that most of the U.S. media outlets, I thought didn't really do a very good job of letting us know what was going on outside of the athletic competition. What did you see outside of the athletic competition there in Beijing? Um, well, I mean, it depends on what you wanted. You know, the, I think the, you know, the, the British ITN, the British TV network that was standing right next to me on the risers, every day they were covering protests. Their reporter got arrested. Their, you know, freedoms on the Internet, you know, not being able to go to certain sites. Um, they did that more than I did. I mean, I was covering the business of sports more than the business of China. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, the the thing is, I think that I think that a lot of reporters went out there to cover whether you know China would live up to their IOC you know promises and the human rights and everything. And I actually think that the reason why you didn't see as much of it as you could have is not because the Chinese government stopped people. I just think the athletic achievements were so good between Bolt and Phelps and the stories behind the men's volleyball team and the, the, the death of the, the father-in-law of the coach and China winning so many goals. I think that the athletic achievements kind of took some of those stories that were on the journalist's budget and, and, and shifted them out. I want to talk about the NBA for a moment. Uh, I think we both agree that the NBA has done the best job of any U.S. sports league marketing themselves and their players in China. We saw Kobe Bryant. It looked like he was just a rock star over there. Yeah, LeBron Kobe, Bryant was, Kobe Bryant was the biggest star of the games. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, LeBron is not half as big as Kobe there. And you, and you always see the NBA jersey sales. You know, Kobe's number one for the second straight year, but I saw it with my eyes. They, they freaking love Kobe. Why? 
I was to- I was told by someone in China that it has something to do with the respect for achievement, and he's kind of like the guy who's closest to Jordan, who also won championships. Like LeBron going to the finals once doesn't doesn't mean as much to the Chinese. So it's kind of like he he won his championships and he's as close to Jordan as possible. So he's the one that they respect the most. So the fact that the uh, Olympic men's basketball team won gold, you would have to think that that's going to help the NBA China efforts moving forward. That's oh, the kind I agree. Of- and NBA, I mean, Stern was there and, and Adam Silver was there. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're in good shape. In, they're in extremely good shape in China. No one, no, one, no one else has the business or will have the business that they will have. China's going to be their, their second biggest market. You know, or or might might be now. Right. Um, you know, you always thought it was Europe. Europe's going to happen, but but China is just going to be so big for them. And 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 the joke is that we always thought that the NBA is smart because you know they're getting Yao Ming in the league and Ejon Leon, and so the joke is that it, that it has nothing to do with those guys anymore. <laughs> it really you know? doesn't. I mean, it's 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 the U.S. guys that they that they love. You know, and and Tracy McGrady's as big as Yao because. They watching now and oh, we love this Tracy McGrady guy. We always thought it was you know extremely nationalistic, but it's not. You know they just want to see excellence, and so I think that's a positive for the NBA. They don't have to go into this like phantom city where there's seven foot six centers from China, and the goal is to get one on every team. Doesn't matter anymore, which is great. Darren, we got a few minutes left. Uh, which brand? helped themselves the most in Beijing. We had Owen Rankin from Johnson & Johnson on the show last week, talked about what they were doing over there. But, you know, these sponsors paid tons of money. Yeah, you know, Johnson & Johnson, unfortunately, they had in, in their – they had a great facility. Unfortunately, it was, on the, it was on the other side of where most of the um, sponsors had their, their set up in the Olympic Village, and I just don't think people saw it or went to it. And the Olympic, you know, the, the 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 sponsor village on the Olympic Green was just no no one went, you know. That's no really sad, went, especially so for that kind of investment. So, who, which brand helped themselves the most? Maybe not Olympic sponsor, but you know, when you were over there, which brand resonated the most with you? Well, you know, Visa won. I mean, and anyone who had Phelps ahead of time won. You know, and and I feel like Visa was ready to activate both Phelps and and Lucan. I mean, they they had both of them. Visa chose Lucan over Johnson, which was a tough task because Sean Johnson was the one. And and I think they really they really got it done. You know, they had two massive press conferences with both of them. And for as uh, you know, Phelps is is pretty good. He needs help, as I said. Uh, Nastia Lucan is it probably the most surprising spokesperson in terms of how well she speaks. She knows how to get the message across. She is just so good um, that even if she doesn't compete in the 2012 games, I think she's, she's got it made um, as much as you can for an Olympian. So I just felt Visa put themselves out there, and, 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 they, and they had the right athletes. And I saw, so I think that was, that was key. And so I think they benefited, and then you know Puma got a nice bump for as little money as they spent you know, with the Jamaicans. Sure, and especially with Bolt doing his little uh, exactly. pose at the end. Um, so what happens to the venues that were used for the Olympics now? I mean, that's the age-old question with every Olympics that we ever see. 
Well, you know, I I have a feeling that these venues will be. Uh, it's not necessarily about the venues. I think that the forty two billion infrastructure. Um, I think that that this will go longer in Beijing than anywhere else. They needed to build this up, and uh, so I think the money spent there is is going to be worth it as much as it can be worth it. Uh, as far as the facilities go, you know, they're going to change that. That water cube is an amazing structure. They're going to change it into some sort of water park. They realize that they can't, you know, keep this up. They're going to change the, the 91,000 at the bird's nest is going to be, you know, shortened. I think that they're, they're going to be used as much as possible, but, you know, the proposition of building these stadiums for lifelong use has never worked. And as amazing as the bird's nest is, it's going to be a landmark, but you you know you have to understand that the Sydney Opera House actually has operas in it. I don't I, I you know fifty sixty you know times a year if you can get some use out of the bird's nest you're going to be in good shape. And I know that they're you know selling naming trying to sell naming rights for both the bird's nest and the water cube, but I, you know it's just a tough business to build these stadiums and then you know see them not be used. They'll be used more, I think, than the white elephants in Barcelona and, and some of the other places. And probably Athens. Last question, 2012 London is on the radar, but 2016 is still up for uh, grabs, and Chicago all of a sudden seems to be back in the game with landing the 2016 Olympics. What are their chances? I don't know how. I, I, I didn't think they had much chances just because I thought, like, you know, the rule is, hey, if you're going to have something in North America in 2010 in Vancouver – uh, you know, how are you going to get Chicago? Um, but then, you know, some of their competitors are in Europe. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. They had, speaking of venues, you know, they have, they have a venue plan that's, that's not going to, uh, you know, tax Chicago forever. So, it, so it's interesting. I think they're great, that might be their greatest strength, that, that maybe the IOC is looking for, for a big city. And London scaled it back as well a little bit. But maybe they're looking for a big city that's not going to do too much. You know, there's been so much extravagance that, you know, maybe it would be just about the city and the games. And so I think that might actually be a positive with, with, with everything the IOC, you know, got in China, which, which might have been a little bit too much. Um, the, the, the 2014 games in Russia is going to be a, it's going to be a tough, tough sell. I, I'm not confident that that city is going to stay the same, Sochi. Interesting. I, I think for the first time ever, the IOC is going to change a city. Wow. I, 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 just because with the war going on, and it's, it's almost like China in that there's a clean slate, but I don't think that they have the, um, I don't think they have the, the, the want to build up the infrastructure that China does. And so I, I think there should be worry over that. Well, Darren Ravel of CNBC, you can read him online at DarrenRavel.com. You can watch him on CNBC. Thanks for joining us. Guests appearing during our SportsCenter segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to Morton's.com. And I'm sure after eating all the food in China, Darren, you'll be happy to have a Morton's steak. Oh, I will. And I love the Caesar salad there, too. All right. You take care, and we'll talk to you soon. You got it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is 
Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, I told you earlier in headlines what a huge rating success the Beijing Olympics were for NBC. Let me give you the top 10 U.S. markets for ratings for the Beijing Games. Number 10, Portland, Oregon. Number 9, Columbus, Ohio. Number 8, Nashville. Number 6, Oklahoma City. Baltimore was 5th. San Diego, Indianapolis, Minneapolis, Salt Lake City, and the number one market in the United States for viewing the Summer Olympics on NBC, Denver, Colorado. Interesting data there. Lots of thank yous on our show this week. Our guests, Darren Ravel from CNBC and Maury Brown from the Biz of Baseball and BizofFootball.com. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com and click on the podcast page. You can also find us on iTunes under the Business News section or just do a Sports Business Radio search. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next weekend. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Malouf. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.